Welcome to The Heart of the Cards, a conversation about creativity, inspiration, and dealing with what we're dealt. With your hosts, Dan Green and Eric Stewart. Here we are. Yes, we're back. This is episode three of The Heart of the Cards, and as usual, I am joined by the lovely and talented Eric Stewart, who you may know from his vast amounts of anime work and other animation work. Pause. There's a show called Pokemon that a few generations of people might know of. There's also Yu-Gi-Oh! Eric Stewart is also the lead singer and songwriter of the Eric Stewart Band. And that's also been around for a decade or two. Mm -hmm. And I'm always happy to be talking with my good friend. Ah, yes. Thank you. And of course, I am joined by my dear friend, Dan Green, which I know will be disappointing to fans to know that Kaiba and Yugi are very, very dear friends. Uh, you may Kaiba! <laughs> uh, very talented uh, voice actor, director, writer, illustrator. Um, his business card has to have been uh, expanded to fit all of the categories that he is now known for, or should be known for. Yes, well, yes. Well, wel- welcome, welcome back to our to our wonderful podcast. <laughs> indeed, indeed, and we're continuing on this thread of using Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey as just a template to talk about things that matter. And today we're talking about what is called crossing the first threshold. And we're also going to put that together with this other part of the hero cycle, which is belly of the whale. I'm putting these two together today because although they are somewhat different, they are very similar. Mm -hmm. And, And I'll just flesh out for our listeners what these stations of the hero's journey amount to. The crossing the first threshold is basically the idea of you're leaving your security zone. You're taking your first steps out into this unknown world. And in traditional myth, very often those first few steps are a little hazardous, they're a little scary, and it's up to the hero to have the courage to keep making those steps down that path. And then what's termed the belly of the whale, that's actually a direct reference to the old myth of Jonah and the whale. It's uh, in the Old Testament, uh, for people who are familiar with that. And the idea is this guy was not listening to what God told him to do. He was thrown overboard in stormy waters to calm the waters because people thought God was mad at him. He gets eaten by a whale, which was a form of protection, ironically. Mm. And the whale the whale barfs him out uh, later to safety after Jonah decides, I will do what God's been asking me to do. So, uh, you know, in a nutshell, don't ghost God. Right. Apparently he takes it very personally. Right. At least not the Old Testament God. He's very, very easily angered. Mm-hmm. But... Um, so you can see that these are, are a, a slightly different ideas, but also you see the similarities. And with the belly of the whale, it's really more about letting yourself give over to the idea that you will be transformed into something you have never been before. But let's start with the crossing the first threshold, that, that idea that you're leaving your comfort zone. And that can include an actual physical leaving of a place. It could also be something a bit more metaphorical, like leaving an identity that you're used to having mm-hmm. to right. include new aspects to your identity or so forth. So, Eric, using that as a template, does that resonate with any experiences in your life, the crossing the first threshold? You know, I, I'm thinking about those early experiences, like in I changed schools when I was um, right, like um, from four, I think it was uh, fifth grade, I, I went uh, from one school to another and uh, being that new kid and um, that sort of, you know, trying to trying to figure out a way to fit in. And what is the identity? What is the the personality? Right, our mutual 
our mutual friend and colleague Greg Abbey went through that a lot, um, who our listeners may know, um, and as you say, uh, from 5Ds and other many other things. But he was an army brat, ah. as they are sometimes called. Yes, the army requiring families to move around frequently leads to a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah. But not interrupt. No, just, no, just no, but that's, but that's it. Yeah, no, that is interesting. I, I actually didn't know that, and I'm also dear friends with Greg. Um, uh, but yes, <laughs> the, the, the idea, especially at that age where you are, you're, you're still trying to figure out who you are yourself, and then you are... And you have your friends and then you're brought to a whole new group of people. And at that moment, you have to you actually have to make a decision like it's both scary and also exciting because you think, OK, well, you know, what what is my what is my role in this group of people? Am I, you know, yeah. where do I fit into where the, do I fit? You know, I looked for things that were uh, ways to at least socialize with people. You know, I, I played uh, soccer. You know, I, I, I was a, a pretty good athlete, so I could I could fit in with that group. But I was also kind of a nerdy, geeky guy. So I, you know, I hung out with some of the D&D guys and then you know, the music stuff. So I think the challenge for me was, okay, you have another clean slate here, but you can also make those mistakes, taking that first step of like, well, uh, what am I going to do? And I think we, we talked about this in one of the earlier shows where, you know, humor was my, uh, was my, my main, right. my main, my main weapon. I figured if I could make people laugh, then they'd want me to hang out with them. And, uh, it, that seemed to work. So, uh, but I think, I think that answers your kind of your question about that. For me, that was a big sort of, uh, outside of my comfort zone deciding what I'm going to evolve into, you know, at 12. Right. right. Yeah. I I was actually pondering this subject matter. And I also would liken this to my experience of moving from Indiana to New Jersey. I was 15. I was older, but I had been so attached to the life I had in Indiana. It was a very safe life. And I not only had my immediate family there, but grandparents there. And we lived in a house that I really loved uh, being in. It it, uh, was a place where, again, family would gather. So there was lots of good memories associated with that. And I also didn't have much of an understanding that we were going to be moving. I'm not going to lay that entirely at the feet of my mom. Maybe I wasn't paying attention enough, but she was making choices in her career and got a PhD and and there was no advancement for her at Purdue University and she ended up getting a position at Rutgers University, actually the first female director of the alumni department at Rutgers. Mm. Some A little bit of a glass ceiling shattered there. But it caught me otherwise by surprise, and I, I just wasn't prepared. I, I remember crying on the phone, and I was saying, well, are we at least going to be able to keep our furniture? <laughs> she said, yes, yes, we'll have our furniture will be with us. But also other things, were, just in terms of my family dynamic, other things were happening. I had three older sisters, and the youngest of which, who was the one I was closest to, was going off to college. So a lot of things were changing at once. Mm-hmm. I think psychologists recommend that... If you're considering moving your family, don't do it when they're in, you know, when the kid's in high school or if they're in high school. That's going to be a really hard time. That's right. Yeah. So I've come to love New Jersey. I'm actually living there again and I'm really uh, uh, grateful to be doing so. But at the time I was 15, it was was kind of like a nightmare. And I mentioned in a previous, um, one of our previous podcasts that I had a lot of emotional and psychological issues that were really challenging me at the time. So moving from Indiana to New Jersey triggered a lot of that or, or you know, uh, exacerbated a lot of that. And that really sent me down this path of depression. I also mentioned, you know, being institutionalized for, for right. it was about two months. 
Now, I don't want our listeners to misunderstand. Going down a path of depression and being institutionalized are not what you would consider necessarily, when you're going through them, a part of a hero's journey. Instead, right. it feels more like you're being flushed down the toilet and like, oh, my God, right? my, life is, my life sucks and am I ever going to survive it? But if you are fortunate enough to survive those challenges, you begin to see that some of those things, those really bad, hard to get through emotionally challenging, distressing things are sometimes the crucible, the forge you need to become who the better version of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. to, be, to become your better you. As an independent production company, Andromeda greatly benefits from the support of its audience. If you're able to contribute as little as a dollar a month, consider going to our Patreon page. Any support you can give means a lot to us creators, and we're excited to bring you more. Visit AndromedaProductions.com and see what's in store. If this is content you enjoy, please like, subscribe, and share on YouTube. One comparison that people make with this idea of crossing the first threshold, you could liken it to that part of the first Star Wars film that was ever released where Luke is looking for R2 because R2 is like trying to deliver the message to Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so he and 3PO are out looking for him and these sand people come and they beat up Luke. Right. So that's that's, you know, in, in that example, um, you know, he's, he is just beginning to step outside his known world and there, there are dangers afoot. But I think everybody experiences a form of anxiety or concern, at least, when they're going from one environment to a new environment. It, you don't necessarily need to be moving from your home, but if you're changing your jobs, that's a big shift for a lot of people. Sure. And you're changing your social patterns and your, literally your work patterns and stuff like that. And even if the change is for a positive goal, you're you're the one who's deciding to walk down that path, unlike me being forced to move from Indiana. Right, right, right. Uh, but even when you're the one who's uh, bringing that into shape, it still can be scary. Well, sure. It still can be challenging. Well, you know, that, that yeah, I mean, that, that, re that reminds me like when I when I made the move from New York to, to come live in Nashville. Um, yeah, you know, I, big step. Yeah, I mean, I have to say that between my directing gig, uh, you know, at Four Kids and and you are leaving an enviable life. Yeah, and my commercial voiceover stuff, uh, you know, outside of that, plus the animation stuff, a true testament to the fact that uh, money doesn't make you happy. And I was like, okay, no, I, I need to make this change. But it was a true test. I mean, it was truly, it, it was not easy. The Whoever, you know, whatever your beliefs are of, well, if, you, if there's some higher power, I was definitely being tested. But I also believe, right. I also believe that that that's part of it. It's like if it was easy, um, everyone would do it. Right. But these challenges sure, are put sure. there to sort of say, do you really want this? Yeah, because if you do, there's something waiting on the other side, but we're going to make it a little tough to get there. Right. Also, you, you, you may not say this about yourself, but what I want listeners to understand is that your situation with four kids at the time you had people that you reported to, of course, you weren't running right. the actual studio, but you were in the upper echelons. Yeah. You held a lot of respect, a lot of influence. And that, again, is, is something that most people would feel 
they couldn't let go of. Well, yeah. And actually, when I when I decided I was going to move, I went and I spoke to, uh, you know, my boss, uh, Norman Grossfeld, who's also a dear friend of mine. But, you know, he was my superior. And I said to him. Mm, also a musician. That's true. That's true. Um, and a writer on a lot of the shows, you know, not only a producer, but a writer on a lot of the shows. I said to him, you know, this is what I want to do. And he he looked at me and said, you know, Eric, there's about 50 people who work here that should do exactly what you're doing because they're going to wake up 10 years from now and say, what did I do with my life? Why didn't I follow my passion? And I really Mm. respected him for that because he basically could have said, that's great. You're fired. Right. <laughs> but but what was really amazing was he kept me on. He said, well, you know, um, uh, as long as it takes you to sell your house in New, in New York, uh, you can work for me. And um, and then when you're you know, when the house sells and you're ready to go, then that's when you you'll you'll leave. And that was very, very generous of him. But the point is that I I rolled the dice. Yeah, um, I sent my I sent my family down to Nashville first. And I said, go look at schools, go look at where, you know, where you would want to live to be zoned for the right schools. And let me know if this is something you could do, because if you could do it, I can work anywhere. I work out of a box in a in a in a basement, basically in a studio. That doesn't matter to me. You guys need to be comfortable with the other part of the world down there. And, uh, you know, everybody seemed to like it. And I said, fine, you know what? Then I'm going to put an offer on the house. And we're going to own two houses at the same time. You're going to get, you know, I'm going to move you down there. Yeah. I'm just going to do it because it had also become a little bit of a joke in my family. My, My parents would say, so still talking about moving to Nashville. And I was like, you know what? Either we do it or we never speak about it again. Because I don't want to be in, I don't want to be in a position where, I, where we, we talked about this before, saying, "What if? What if I had? What if I had done that? Would I have been happier?" Right. And the true test, the whale the, that I had to, you know, find my way out of his stomach was. It took me nine months to sell my house in New York while owning a second house in Tennessee with my family living in Tennessee, and I basically had. I, I was so broke. That in in the house in in New York, I had basically peanut butter and I think uh, seltzer. That was my that was what I lived on, uh, <laughs> because everything else was to supply the the family you know down south, sure, and then to eat, sure. save even more money. I, uh, it was, it, it was a great deal. I, I worked there for so, uh, four kids for so long that I had saved up so many weeks of vacation that I never used because when you're kind of in charge of a lot of things, when you leave and disappear, then nothing ever mm-hmm. gets done. And then you come back and nothing has gotten done. So I rarely took vacation. Right. So I had it saved up. So I worked out a fantastic deal, which was I could take a week off every two weeks and I would fill up a 14 foot truck. And drive, no, actually it was a 16-foot truck, and drive 14 hours myself. I did four trips from New York to Nashville by myself driving a moving truck to move. And and I think it was the, the last trip where I was, you know, halfway there. It's in the middle of the night. I've got no money in my bank account, but I own two fantastic homes at this time. I, right. I'm driving this truck, and I say out loud, if you're testing me whether I'm supposed to do this or not, I, you know, I don't have much left. Like this, you know. <laughs> So, so right. like at some point, let me know, like if I failed or I've passed the test. And when I got down in Nashville, I got the call from my realtor in New York that we had an offer on the house in New York. Oh my God, that is magic. 
I mean, like exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly what you wanted right at the right time. Exactly. I would definitely say it was magic. <laughs> hey, you know, that reminds me, we know a magical person uh, that has lots of good things to bring us from time to time. You're right. That's, yeah, the wizard. Let's see what he has to say. Welcome to Wizardly Worlds of Wisdom. I am your host, Tips and Tricks, and I am so excited. Tomorrow, I'm going to visit my daughter, and I'm going to fly to get to her on a plane. Usually, I would just teleport, but she suggested to me that perhaps I'm missing out on some of the adventure of being alive. <gasps> what will it be like being able to look down upon the clouds while enjoying free soda and pretzels? I don't know, but I do know a thing or two about taking chances. Whoever you are, whatever you do, there was a time where you had to do something that you hadn't done before. Perhaps it caused a bit of anxiety, dealing with the uncertainty, the unknown. Well, that's what we're here to talk about today. First, start with something small. If you're investing money, make it a small amount you can live without. Or perhaps you're learning to swim. Well, don't start in the deep end. Work your way up to it. Into it? Down to it. Well, you know what I mean. Number two. Don't only focus on what could go wrong, focus on what could go right, and then commit to that. It will make the challenge that much more exhilarating. And finally, number three, if you really don't know, sleep on it. Certainly the risk will be there tomorrow. Trust yourself that you will come to the right decision. And finally, and third, oh, I did it again. All right, I'll give you one more, just because I like you. Taking a chance, taking a risk, well, it's not always going to work out the way you want, but that doesn't mean you've failed. Learn from what you've done. Wisdom is its own reward. And with that, I will say goodbye for now. Oh, I must get some sleep for my flight tomorrow. I don't want to miss a thing, including my flight. Nevertheless, I look forward to the next time I can offer you some wizardly words of wisdom. <laughs> Taking chances, I can relate to that. And, you know, you got to take them, sometimes even when you don't want to, but you never know how it's going to end up. Which we were saying before, so you were, you know, basically right at the precipice of desperation's door or whatever, and then you get the call, you get the offer of the house, you move your family, you change your whole life. So how'd that work out? It was amazing. So everything worked out. I, you know, I love living down here. It's fantastic. But it truly was. I was at the end of my rope. And I kept saying to yeah, myself, yeah. I know I'm supposed to do this or at least try it. Worst case scenario, I could come back to New York. I could always do that if I wanted to. But I have mm -hmm. to try this. And that transition was it was devastating. I mean, I I was I, I was at my wit's end. I didn't know what I was going to do if I had to go another month of paying two mortgages. You know, yeah, I was still working, but you know, that's more that's more of an expense than your um your average voiceover director musician can afford. You know? Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. But uh, but definitely, yeah. I don't mind 
the challenges in life to to sort of test us. I, I just watched a great little clip of David Bowie talking about, you know, how to do it, right? How to do all this stuff. And he said if mm. if he said, you know, the worst thing you can do is 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 if you're doing your craft is to be in a safe zone. He said you should go you should go swimming in the water or wading in the water. And if you can't feel the bottom, then you're on you're on the right path to, to, to creating something exciting. Right. And 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 right. that's I mean, that's so true. It's like we you know, I could have stayed in my job. I, I would still be working there. I could have stayed in New York, been doing the same sort of stuff, probably made much more money than I do mm-hmm. and not and still not. I, I would not be happy. Yeah. Yeah. If I hadn't left Indiana, I may never have become an actor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when you made that that shift and you because that, as you said, being in high school is a whole different thing of <laughs> of joining into yeah. a whole new group of people. And and you had mentioned that you also used uh, humor for 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 that sort of entree in. But did you did you have a chance to even look at that as I can be something new and different Right. That's a good question. It was more that I, it it was not, to answer your question directly, a situation I was looking at to see in a positive way what I could become. Right. I had so much stuff going on internally. I had degree of, so that, you know, people say like there's low Mm self-esteem and stuff like that. And I had more what might be described as self-loathing, which is different than low self. Low self-esteem is kind of like you don't think much of yourself, but self-loathing is much more actively disliking. Mm-hmm. Right, right. <laughs> I remember I was having a phone conversation with a friend of mine from Indiana, but this friend was in his mid-20s, and I met him from doing D&D. When I was uh, in Indiana still, between the ages of 13, 14, uh, up to 15, I felt like I was so cool because another friend my age hooked me into playing D&D with this college crowd. And in Indiana, where I was, Purdue University was right there. That's where my father was a professor, my grandfather was a professor, my mom worked at the alumni department. Um, so anyway, so college kids playing D&D could get like this room, one of the lecture halls. And on Friday nights and Saturday nights, I got to play D&D for four hours with these college wow. kids. Well, one of them was this really cool creative guy who wrote poetry, and he was the first gay person I I befriended, mm-hmm. you know, that, that I saw as an actual person and not just a concept on a television right, show. Right, right. I was having this conversation with, because he was one of those people that you could talk to. He was, he was very smart and, and really, you know, good with people and good at listening. After about a half hour into this conversation, uh, he called me out for using so much negative language toward myself. Wow. And he said, do you, do you hate yourself? And you would think like your knee-jerk response would be, well, no, 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 of course not. But that wasn't my knee-jerk response. Mm. I was stunned by the question, and I think I couldn't answer for a moment because it was resonating as kind of true. Ah. So it was, for me, it was um, not at all this idea that I know I'm going to challenge myself to pursue a goal. It was much more the feeling of I'm collapsing internally and I'm being, my exterior environment is challenging me in ways that I never anticipated. And I was just trying to hold on. But it became clear that in, the, you know, if this conversation is in some way about self-transformation and, mm-hmm. and, and transforming the environment around you, 
and maybe the, the environment around you transforming you. Right, um, right. <laughs> it, yeah, I was more like, you know, example C. I, I, things were happening at me, and and so I had, uh, you know, an issue with it, struggles with it. But I also look back at those times not with sadness. I look back at those times with, yeah, that's what I had to get through. Mm-hmm. I had to break through those layers. I had to be made aware of this negative relationship I was having with myself. And I had to do things to change that. And it didn't happen overnight. It's um, not like in the myths, not like in the movies. It took me years to deal with those issues, to keep dealing with those issues. But it's also true that I value every shred of that pain that I felt. Mm-hmm. And I isolated myself after a certain period of time and days where I just wouldn't come out of my room and I would just listen to music and I would, you know, draw on my drawing pad and and be extremely emo all the time. Right, right. <laughs> and uh but I wouldn't I wouldn't trade that for anything because that really helped me to I guess looking at it that way and dealing with the subject matter that we're dealing with today in a way I kind of created the belly of the whale around me and then when I was okay with taking steps back into the quote unquote real world I was able to do so with a different sense of self-possession mm-hmm. And I didn't have all the answers, but I think maybe a part of what I needed to do was spend some time defining the territory around me so that I felt like, okay, now I can take some steps forward. But this brings me to, to, another, uh, to another element that I wanted to bring up, um, this idea of, of going from one place to another and uh, this idea also of transformation within yourself to become a different version of yourself. I was working with a therapist uh, just about a year ago, and I was making the comparison of when you're stuck in a way of being, in a state, a mood, a mode, mm-hmm. it, it feels very limiting, and you feel to a certain degree kind of helpless. And I compared it to to being stuck in a state, not of being, but like in a physical state. So the comparison I made was... When you're stuck in that state and you really want to cross the border into a new territory, you need a passport. You need this ID that lets you do that. And when you're stuck in that state, you may have to forge that new identity, meaning like make up right, the papers, right? right? I also mean forge a new identity in another way, 